0: wade in arizona home of some of the best sunsets in america holy shit i got in today's process is this how i got into george washington university law school
1: sit back relax let's light the lantern well hello there rangers wade skalski here lawyer online entrepreneur and your guide to the understory because this place is filled with monsters and bandits here comes your first warning Although I am a lawyer, this podcast is not for legal advice. If you work with me, you must have a signed agreement. This podcast is for educational and entertainment
0: purposes only. Alright, let's enter the understory. Remember, admission is free, but understanding always has a price. Let's light the lantern. What is up, Rangers? Those of you who are in the understory against your will, and those of you who are in the understory on paper, on purpose, Wade Skulski here, the understory lawyer. So what you just heard was the intro. Uh, in the intro, what you just heard was a personal handwritten note from Dean Jack Friedenthal from the George Washington University Law School like three or four deans ago, because this was in 1995 is when I got accepted. So... What have I got except in 94, 1994, 1995 And uh, if you George, if you know anything about law schools or whatever, George Washington is consistently in the top t- top twenty five. It kind of hovers around number twenty. Um, it's in Washington D.C. Great place to go to law school. Great place to meet my front meet some my law school friends who I still am in touch with today. It is awesome. And anyway, but if you would have handicapped me uh, to get into that school. I think you would have bet against it. So, you know, I applied to eight eight or nine schools. I think I applied to eight or nine schools and I had I had two requirements for the eight or nine schools that I was going to apply to. Number one was um, that it had to be in the top 25. And number two was that it had to be on the East Coast. And there was – the reason why I wanted to be in the top 25 is because my parents – neither of my parents went to college. Um, and what happened was is that they gave, the advice that they gave me was go to uh, – go be a doctor or go be a lawyer. Like that was the only career advice that I got. And I don't really like – I do not like uh, math or science. And so – not liking math or science. I was like, lawyer it is. So I, I got myself, I was like, I'm gonna be on a law school path, so that's why I was law school. And in my mind, that's all I had to do to be successful, was if I became a lawyer, that would mean I would be financially successful, all it was like a panacea it was utopian thinking like all my problems would be solved no problem so i wanted to go to a good law school because in my mind i was like the better law school i go to the better i'll be i guess um in hindsight if i could go back to my my 25 year old self i would say go to the cheapest law school in the city that you want to live in that uh, advice is for free but that's just me so uh and my own personal reasons for that And then the East coast is because I had never really lived on the East coast. And I had this fantasy idea of East coast. There was this movie with honors that has like Brendan Frazier in it. And he was a student. He was like a fellowship or an honor student or something like that. I think he was at Harvard. And so I had this, I saw that movie and I was like, Oh, that just looks so cool. Living in a house with five other people. That's the airplane right now. That's a jet sound of freedom. It's one of the air bases. And, um, and so I was like, "Oh, that would be so cool! I would love that. That would be awesome. Living in a house, uh, almost like a, like a mini dorm room with other people, and making dinners and talking about shit. Like, yeah, no, that, that's that's was it was how what's where I was. I had this utopian view of everything, and I never really spent any time on the East Coast. I spent time in North Dakota." didn't want to go to the Midwest, I did that. I had spent time in Arizona. And uh, and then California was kind of, at that time, was a, a little bit of a mystery to me. It was a little bit of an enigma. Um, I didn't really have a desire to go to California because I don't, at that time, I didn't tempt the sun's power. I was afraid of the beach, right? Um, <laughs> the exact opposite of my wife, who was like growing up in Virginia Beach as a lifeguard. So... So that was, my, that was my thing. So I, I applied everywhere. Now look, let's talk about my academic. I went to the University of Arizona. That's why I'm wearing my universe, University of Arizona hat today. If you were on the live stream, then you can see it. If you are um, on the YouTube channel, you can see it. However, you're not seeing it on the podcast on any other platforms. But I'm wearing my University of Arizona hat. I love this hat. So I went to the University of Arizona, and I for high school, I wasn't what you would call an excellent student. I graduate. The only person that I know who graduated with a lower GPA in high school than I did was my friend Scott Evans, who now has a PhD in mechanical engineering from the University of uh, Texas at Austin, and he runs like a whole building over there for entrepreneurs and engineers. Like he's like heavy, heavy, heavy hitter. But I think he graduated from high school. He graduated, he graduated with high school GPA, like a two seven. And I had a 2.76. And uh, so the only advantage to having a two seven and a 2.76 for me and my best friend Scott in high school was that we were able to um, bring up the third division in academic decathlon. So there's three divisions in academic decathlon, like three five to four oh, three oh to uh three oh to three five and then three oh and below. Two nine nine and below, right? And uh so we had a pretty powerful we had a pretty powerful pretty powerful two nine nine and below team because Scott and I anchored it. Um typically people have problems filling those spots, but we were we were a hidden powerhouse in that spot. And uh In any event, um, I wasn't at a high school. I wasn't going to get accepted anywhere. I did. I did a million different um, extracurricular activities like I did debate, academic decathlon. I played football for a year or two. I played volleyball for three years. I did theater. I was in musicals like I was the senior class vice president. Like I if it was an extracurricular activity, i would like, yeah, I'll sign up for it. Sure soccer never played it let's try it right like no no problem um so i had like a lot of extracurricular activities but my my um wait a minute, what you mean G? my gpa 2.76 wasn't getting me into harvard during real good so the cool thing about the university of arizona was that uh you in arizona if you scored over like a 900 or something like that on the sat you were automatically admitted to the university of arizona asu and nau which are the three schools all are really good schools um Kind of like for certain things, right? Uh, all our fun schools, I should say, like act, but not academic powerhouses, let's just say. Let's get into that, shall we? So I took the, I think I took the L, not the Elsa I took the, um, I took the the SAT as a junior and uh, I scored whatever I scored. I did pretty well. I'm pretty good at tests, but I, I just had to get above a 900. So I didn't even take a prep class or anything like that. I'm like, I'm just going to go to U of A. It's downtown. I lived in Tucson at the time and I was like, fine, let's just do that. So I went to U of A for four years. Now, here's the thing about U of A. Now, I knew in college I had to kind of apply myself, right? And because I wanted to go to be a lawyer and I knew how to have good grades to, to go to law school. and But I have this problem. And the problem that I have is a conscientiousness problem. I've talked about it in the in the um, the podcast before. Where on a scale of one – I took a, a, the big five personality test on a scale of one to 100 – with 100 being 100% and 1 being 1, on conscientiousness, I score a, a, a score of 4, okay? What that means is, is that 96 out of 100 people are more conscientious than me. And conscientiousness is a key to, to accomplish goals over a long period of time. So I suck at it, terrible. And so I struggled my entire life with being with consistency issues for whatever reason. Like, I don't know if it, it, there's, it's just my personality. I just, I'm a, I'm a shiny bouncy ball person. I, I dig abstract ideas. I score a 96 and abstract ideas. So 90, I get into abstract ideas, 96% on more than 96 out of a hundred people. I'm extroverted. I'm in the ninth, in the 90, 95th percentile, um, for people that are extroverted. Right. And so, um, like I'm extroverted than almost everybody else. Okay. So I have strengths, but sort of long-term consistency in, in, in repetitive tasks, not so good at, right? Which is what your grades are, which you, you have to go to class every day. You have to study every day. You have to do all that stuff. And I didn't really do that. So the key for me, though, was if I attended school, I would get a really good grade. So I would have semesters where I had like a 3.8. I did a 4. I never got a 4.0 in undergrad, I don't think. I think I had like 3.8, 3.7. But then I would have semesters where I would just be terrible like a 2.0 or whatever. And that was was if I went to school or not. So so I would be able to go to school for a semester. I'm like, I'm doing this. And then the next semester, I would be off on some wild goose chase about something. Um, And so I think I graduated with a 3.1 because it would be either like, and it was weird because my transcript had like a 3.8 and then it had like a, a 2.0. It was just, was really weird. And so, um, but it, the end number was a 3.1. So when I was looking at how I was gonna apply to schools, okay, uh, I had a problem. And my problem was is that, uh, uh, the problem was is that I had a, didn't have a high GPA. I had a 3.1. And if you look at the average GPA for all the law schools that are in the top 20, top 25, you know, they're like 3.6, 3.7, Three eight, whatever, and there are three factors that get you into law school. Okay, um, there's your maybe four factors. Okay, so there's your GPA, which is a raw number. There's your LSAT, which is a raw number. There is uh, and then a personal essay, and then I would I, I would attach the personal essay like your extracurriculars or whatever. So because you're like a diverse. They want a diverse student body, right? And so, but there's a fourth hidden one, which I benefited greatly from, that I I didn't even know I was benefiting greatly from. I wish I could say I was smart enough to figure it out, but that's where you are geographically. So like schools in the East Coast, they don't want everybody to be from the East Coast. They kind of want to mix. And I was in Arizona. So the one thing is, as we're going to hear about in a second, that helped me greatly. It was an unknown factor, all right? Um, but let's just deal with the first three, which is the uh, the GPA, which I couldn't do anything about because I was I can't go back in time and change that. So, but I I had the LSAT, and then I had. Um, the LSAT and then I had the uh, the personal essay okay now so I knew when I was sitting there I was like alright I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to have any I don't have any wiggle I can't change anything with the, the GPA but I can do something about these other two factors if you're weak in an area right if you want to and we're talking about if you're trying to do something in an established institution an established hierarchy we're in the the find it type of your thing right you gotta find a school to go to you gotta find a job you gotta you gotta find something okay um you must identify what the factors are in order that that quote bureaucracy or that institution or that hierarchy wants first before you do anything. You don't just run out and take the LSAT, you don't just run out and, and do your personal essay, whatever. Now, if you're smart, you, I probably would have done this in high school. I would have said, okay, what do I want to do? But I know Because I, I knew I wanted to do to law school in high school. I was on the debate team. I did all the mock trial. I did. I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I knew that going into high school, I had decided, um, see the ergo, no doctors or lawyers, right? And. So the whole thing was, is is, is if I was smart or had any guidance at all from anyone, um, I would have done that in high school and kind of maybe that would have helped me, maybe. Probably not. You could have told me everything and I probably would have done the same thing because uh, I just didn't have it together in college at all. I am the definition of late bloomer. Like on the bell curve of late bloomers, late bloomer. Like that's Wade all the way, all the way over, late bloomer. And and so why am I talking this about my podcast? Why am I talking this about my podcast? My podcast is about helping people make their place, not find it. And I'm telling you, I'm going to go through a strategy about why you need to use a strategy for in the find it game, because I'm telling you how to deal with an exact an existing hierarchy. Because when you go build your own business, when you're able to leave, whenever you're able to leave your job, whenever you're able to leave the business that you've created that you hate or when you want to stop stop being commoditized by the gig economy you still have to deal with commodities commodities you still have to deal with hierarchies you still have to deal with institutions now you're not trying to be in them but you're going to have to actually interact with them like your little pirate ship that you're making your little your little island that you're making that you you know it's my island mine right the clearing that you're creating for yourself yeah you get to stand in it and yeah it's yours but you you're not the only human being in the world you're not the only you're not the only your business is not the only entity in the world, you gotta be able to interact with other other hierarchies. Okay? So that's why we're talking about it today. Plus it's kind of a fun story. Plus, it links to my book. So I wrote in a chapter in my book as I wanted to go I wanted to go more into this topic for my book that, that I'm editing right now. And I couldn't. I had to cut some stuff. I was like, oh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to attach it to my podcast. So I'm going to be linking certain podcast episodes. I'm going to be referencing them in the book. And then so when you read the book, when you get it, then if you want to know more about the, that topic, I'll actually say go to podcast episode 126 or whatever. The great thing about doing a daily podcast is that you don't have to really worry about planning your content out and like, oh, but I don't want to give up one of my content days for this because I only do it once a week well I do it every day so I get to do whatever the fuck I want so there you go so um, this is going to be linked to the book now all right, so we got that all clear. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, all right, I have a 3.1. I don't. I don't even know. Honestly, I don't even know if I could have gotten into University of Arizona's law school because it's very competitive. Because a lot of people just want to roll right into University of Arizona, and it, would, it actually hurt me that I lived in Tucson and I was from the U of A because I would be compared apples to apples with other U of A applicants exactly, and I would. I don't know if I would have gotten in. So. Okay. So so let's go let's talk about let's talk about the easy one first which is the LSAT, right? So I identified these three factors, which is okay, I got to rock the LSAT, I got to have an amazing um, amazing personal essay and I've got to uh, explain away that GPA problem. So <laughs> let's talk about the LSAT. One advantage that I had, which is a natural advantage, which is I am I'm not going to say I'm a preternatural test taker, but I'm a preternatural test taker. Like I'm amazing at taking standardized tests. I'm really good at it, like awesome at it, like naturally amazing at it. And so every standardized test that I took, I learned something about it and I got better at it. I never had to learn how to take standardized tests. I never took a strategy class. I just, for whatever reason, the way that my brain works, I identify patterns. You give me a large data set, and I can pull leverage points out of large data sets. That's basically what a test is, especially obviously multiple choice tests, which is what the LSAT is. And so there's no writing component to the LSAT. There's it's just all um, multiple choice, which was like, yeah, give me that, give me all that all day long. And I was like, okay, cool. But what I did not do is I did not rely upon my natural ability for that test because I knew I had to do well on it. So I took a class. So I couldn't believe it. I was like, I cannot believe I'm taking a class on how to take a test. It would be like, it would be like an you know me trying to take English 101 but not English like in writing English, like learning English 101. I'm like, I'm a native born English speaker. I don't need to take English 101. But that's what it was like for me. So, but it would give me the slight edges that I needed and it paid off. So I I did not get in the top 1% on the LSAT. I was thought for sure I was going to be... I kind of had an off day when I took it. Excuses 20 years later. No. I just... It was weird. Like, I just... Whatever reason, it was that, that day I felt... Maybe I was... I think it was anxiety. I think it was like I knew a lot wrote on it. So, um, I could see it, though. It's pretty close to 99%. I don't need to tell you what it was, but... I could see right... I was like... Right next to it, so I um, got a soup. So I, I, I did. I, I, I can't say that I crushed it because crushing it would be a ninety-nine percentile, like top one percentile. But I was right next to it. Um, so now, okay. So now that create a conundrum, right? Because they're like, okay, so they law schools love low,
1: high, uh, high.
0: Um, high test scores because it is a metric that is used in judging them for the US News and World Report which actually tells you what are the top 25 okay which is kind of it's kind of a rigged game but we don't need to go into that right now. So, but high LSAT score is incredibly important. So now this is, creates a conundrum, right? So now there's this tension. There's a 3.1 GPA at a state school. Now, U of A is a good school, but it's a state school. It's not Ivy League or anything like that. Just 45,000 students go there. Or probably more now. Whatever. And then I had a, I had a good, I had a really, really good LSAT. But now there's a tension. So what's the tiebreaker? That's going to be the personal, the personal essay. And then there was a hidden tiebreaker. Now, side note: this one's free. That's not fair. It's not fair. I know a guy who worked for four years, and I don't know him now. But at the time, we were friends, acquaintances. So we played basketball together, whatever, at the rec center a lot. And he was roommates so of one of my friends. And um, he he had like a 4.0. He had a perfect academic. He had a perfect academic record. He was an honor student. He was, and he had a hard major. I think it was like an engineer or something. And um, He got in the lower half On the L side He didn't get any of the schools That he wanted to go And he never went to Never went to become a lawyer He's probably a lot happier now But that's not fair But that's the system That we live in That's where we're in Sorry But I think it's a really dumb way To pick people to go to law school But that's just me Anyways Okay Whatever That one's for free That's a little aside So I'm sure he's He's probably a billionaire. I don't even remember what his name is, but I'm sure he's a billionaire right now. Probably having the most fun of his life. And I'm in the garage bunker talking to you, but you're fun. So we'll, we'll stick together. Okay. So then I had the, the personal essay. Now to write, and it had to be one page. And I'm a good writer. Naturally, I'm a good communicator, but I've never really taken the time to learn things like that are kind of like, I don't know, important, like grammar. Mm, I, you know, I'm a quick starter on the Colby index on the Colby index. So, um, I'm not, it's it's other people are good at editing. Let me throw the first draft down. Let me throw the second draft down. And then I'm going to have someone else edit the book, right? So I'm in the second draft. Once the second draft is the first draft, did the whole first draft. It's all done. Rewriting it with a second draft as I get more clear. And then I'll have someone edit it. I'm not going to edit it. That's crazy talk. Why would I do that? I'm going to pay someone to do that. Um, It's not a skill. not a skill I need to develop either. But uh, another little nugget and tidbit for you for free. So anyway, so but I worked on this one-page personal essay. And I took a chance and I knew I had to take a chance. And the reason is, is that I didn't want to necessarily like GW wasn't necessarily like my number one school. I didn't have a number one school. If it was top 20 and it was on the East coast, then it was, it was in that set of schools. So I just said to myself, whatever I get into, then I'll decide between the schools. And I got into a couple of different schools. That's a story for a different time. But, um, but GW, I would say was, was, I think it was the highest ranked Boston, Boston College might have been higher. Boston University a little lower. I'm not sure. Whatever. I think Boston College wait waitlisted me. I don't know. I didn't get rejected from anywhere. So this will tell you that my that's not true. I got rejected from William and Mary. William and Mary rejected me, and everyone else waitlisted me, if I remember correctly, which is a miracle, which is unheard of. But it's because of the LSAT score, probably. Uh, any event. So um, the essay. I had to take a chance. I couldn't just write the same essay that everyone else had to because I had the tension between the two poles. If I would have had a 3.9 GPA then, and then LSAT, then I just would have wrote a, kind of a non-chance taking essay and I would have been fine, right? But I had to take a chance and the reason was I had to have a tiebreaker, okay? And so I, this is the essay that I wrote about. So I used to teach martial arts. I, I did martial arts, I started in the eighth grade and I did martial arts for like nine years, okay? And I taught martial arts for a long time. And I used to go – we used to fight all the time. Thank God that I'm not – that I didn't learn martial arts now because I would have tried to do UFC. And a sick – because that's just what we – we were doing full contact kickboxing. We were just fighting doing that. And that was like the most aggressive thing you could do at that time. Um, And – but now we – so now I would be a UFC – I would have tried – not as a 47-year-old, but like as an 18-year-old to 27, I would have tried UFC, which would have been silly because – do you know how hard it is to wrestle when you're six, four and a half with 37 and a half inch long arms? That's called like instant leverage for anyone that wants it, okay? So that would have been a disaster and I would have done it. And I would have been like, I can do it. But anyway, so we, we were fighting in this, um, we were fighting, we went, we, we traveled to Albuquerque, my brother and I and a couple other karate instructors, and we traveled to Albuquerque to fight in the Albuquerque Invitational. And the way that it works is it's just like you think about it like the Karate Kid, right? Like they, they set you up in brackets and then you just fight to the two brackets fight each other until you get to the last fight. And so I made it to the finals. OK, so I'm in this ring with the finals and I'm how old am I? 20, 8, 19, 18. I'm probably 18. OK, and this dude gets in the ring across from me. He's got to be 40 years old. gotta be 40 40 okay he's got a paunch like he's fat he's wearing like sport goggles and this i'm not making this up this is a true story and I look at my brother my brother was like my ring man at that point because he was he had got knocked out but he didn't get knocked out by this guy which I it was, this might have gone differently if he would have got knocked out by this guy so I look at my brother and I'll never forget this I'm like I'm gonna fucking destroy this person and I was just like I'm, this is this is the easiest first place trophy I've ever gotten in my entire life I'm gonna kill this guy so I was like sweet and uh, they rang the bell and that yeah, old man strength that man destroyed me just destroyed me. And the lesson that I should have known is he was in the finals for... He was in the final match for some some reason. He's in the final match for some reason. Um, but me being stupid and 18 and thinking I knew everything, I didn't think about that. I didn't think it through. That's, you know... You, well, in my defense, your, your frontal cortex as a, as a male doesn't develop until you're 25. So I, I was only... I was operating with half a brain. <laughs> and that dude... That dude kicked my ass just rocked it. And that really had a profound impact on me. And it was, um, it wasn't so much even don't judge a book by its cover. It wasn't that at all. It was more along the lines of, um, oh, I may not know something. And that's a pretty fundamental. That's a, that's a pretty fundamental realization. That was the first time in my life. I was like, Hmm, maybe there are some things I don't know. Maybe I'm not so smart because I was 18. And I was convinced that's pretty smart. Now, I had I'm smartitis for a long time, but that was the first little little sliver that maybe I need to humble myself and don't don't assume I know everything. And I wrote about that story. And I mean, I wasn't even in college. I was I, I was it was I think it was so I must have been 17. So it was a risk to write about something that didn't happen in college. I didn't write about like whatever, like being the blue key president Right. Whatever. Which I don't even know how I got into Blue Key. I think I don't know. It was like, I think I had a secret handshake or something. I don't know. I don't even remember. And uh, I didn't write anything in college. I took a risk because I had to. And that risk paid off. And I and I got a letter from um, George Washington University and they said, you're in. And I got it early, too. So, like it was weird. Like Boston university, I sent all my stuff in at once. And then Boston university sent back a reply and accepted me literally like, no, I did two batches. I did Boston university first and Boston university accepted me like within, I mean, they got the application, they processed it, they accepted me and they sent it back to me within like 10 days. It was crazy. I was like, I'm in law school. Like it was great. And then, then, but then GW kind of was in the middle, I think in the middle pack or whatever. So, Mm. um, and that was a really cool. That was really cool for me because I was like, "Oh, GW, it's a good school." And I was like, "Okay, cool. Like, I'm gonna. I, I have a successfully navigated just 3.1. I'm gonna be able to go to school in this uh, and and meet my goal of going on the East Coast. Now, I got accepted to a couple other places. I looked at them or whatever. But so I, I, I show up at. Uh, I had one secret thing going for me that helped me too. So before you think, "Wait, you're a genius and your your plan worked," um, and that was. I uh, um, I think they wanted geographic diversity, too, from U of A or from Arizona, because there was like I personally knew like three people that applied there and they all got in like everyone and they all accepted. Like so everybody I think they're like, oh, shit, we got seven people from U of A or whatever it was. And I don't think they expected that. But we all said yes to theirs. So that helped me, too. But I at least put myself I put myself in a position with how I presented everything to take advantage of that geographic diversity desire by the school. And if I would have done a shitty essay or if I would have done a shitty in the LSAT, I wouldn't have got accepted because of the GPA. And so you have to put yourself in the position to get lucky too. And um, maybe they would have accepted me without the geographic diversity because other schools that were as, you know, ranked similarly accepted me, but I definitely would have gotten rejected if I wouldn't have taken it very seriously. And you don't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect to be perfect. If you're trying to do something big or you're trying to accomplish something for yourself big, don't don't just assume you can't do it. Just go for it, just go for it. But don't go for it on a wing and a prayer. Put together a plan. I put together a plan and it worked and that taught me a big lesson um, that I didn't have to be perfect. And I talk about it a lot. I talk about it a lot on, um, I talk about it a lot is I'm not perfect. Things I do, this live stream is not perfect. I'm kind of from the garage bunker. I'm not waiting for things to be perfect to move forward. So, If you want to get on board with me, get on board with me. If you don't, you don't. But I'm moving forward. And I'm not waiting anymore. It's one of the biggest lessons I ever learned. It's just, there's no time. Every day my kids get older. Soon I'm not going to be able to pick up my daughter anymore. She's going to get so tall. So, What I want you to do is take out your Ranger Field Journal. If you don't have a Ranger Field Journal, take out your uh, regular journal. If you don't have a regular journal, for the love of God, take out a regular journal. But for now, take out your unicorn trapper keeper from the fifth grade. And what I want you to do is just think about something that you're holding back on because of some factor about yourself you can't control and write that down and put a plan together. There are other factors in that one thing you're holding back from. And just remember, there is no end if it's the end of path to understanding.
1: If you are listening to this podcast and you are an online entrepreneur, I know exactly what it feels like to be you because I am one. I know what it's like to know that you are smart and work your ass off, but always feel like you cannot get traction. I know what it feels like to have your spouse support you outwardly, but on the inside they're saying to themselves, is this going to work? And I know that you want to create something in business, but you always end up chasing the same dollar over and over. Or maybe you want to create something in the arts, but you feel like you shouldn't play there. So you wander in the forest stuck in the understory. I spent over 40 years there fighting the same monsters and bandits over and over. And when I discovered that if you learn what the understory is and you start to go there on purpose, you can find a clearing where you have clarity and power in your commerce, connections, and creations. You handle the forest like a badass ranger with the proper mindsets and skill sets that you need. Not once chosen for you by some guru or your parents, but chosen by you on paper, on purpose. We can walk the understory together, but I cannot find you unless you raise your hand and say, I'm over here. Subscribe to my email list at understorylawyer.simplecast.com. Let's find your clearing together, a place free of entanglements, a place with a bedrock foundation, and a place where you set the boundaries, not anyone else.